0: Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Dustin Hoffman. Mark Magnuson and Riley Smith will be joining us very soon, but let's look at the top story we're following this week. President Joe Biden on Friday signed legislation to prevent a railroad strike that he warned would cripple the economy and put millions of Americans out of work heading into the holidays. On Monday, the president asked Congress to approve an agreement that was reached back in September in order to prevent what could have been a $2 billion per day hit to the U.S. economy. More news is online at iowaagnet.com. But right now, let's kick things over to Russ Parker. This past month, we've had some repair work done on the farm. Sometime in the 60s, I think, terraces were installed to help control the water flow and preserve the precious topsoil that's still there. What precipitated the work was a bad nighttime experience while I was out mowing. And I dropped a front wheel of tractor in a four-foot hole that I didn't know was there. One of the terraces had finally worn through and collapsed creating a hazard that could have produced a much more challenging experience than it did. And driving through the area, tis the season it seems to invest in some field work with terrace and standpipe repair and putting in new tile to remove the excess water, all with the goal of creating a better growing environment for the crops. And I'm sure that we've all noticed the anhydrous tanks parked in fields and being pulled behind tractors, the gas being incorporated into the soil with what I think is remarkable technology that offers an opportunity for fall application which will result in available nitrogen in the spring. And while sometimes mother nature can throw a curveball, the idea that moves the process forward is to control and manage what we are able to. And even when the harvest is over, the ground is barren and the environment not conducive to growing plants. This time still presents important and strategic opportunities to prepare and plan for new growth. This is the weekend of the second Sunday of Advent, Christmas time, a time when Christians take time to prepare. So I asked myself, how am I getting ready for Christmas Day? How am I preparing for new growth? How am I preparing to remove the excess? How am I preparing to improve the quality of my life? Am I doing everything that I can to prepare for new life? Christmas will soon be here. Let's get ready together. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. And that's going to do it for segment one of Weekend Ag Matters. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, Mark Magnuson is going to take us between the pods. This is Weekend Ag Matters.
1: Every detail matters when building a winning game plan. That's why the Cyclones and Hawkeyes rely on better, cleaner now biodiesel to power their team buses on game days. Delivering success on the field in the field, and in the environment. Make biodiesel part of your game plan by visiting IASoybeans.com. Biodiesel. Request it. Grow it. Use it. This message brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and the Soybean Checkoff.
2: Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here is Mark Magnuson. Mark Magnuson with the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, and we're here for Between the Pods. And each week on Between the Pods, each every other week, we focus on a new area of the Iowa soybean, and I'm here today with Joe McClure. And Joe, could you just tell us what your job title, what your role is, please? I'm the co-director of research for the Research Center for Farming Innovation. Uh, That is a subset of the Iowa Soybean Association and focused entirely on research. So how is the research center set up Is it just one central facility? Do you use other people's facilities? How does that work? So we are predominantly located here in Ankeny.
3: Uh, We do have a few people uh, located out in the countryside at at, at, uh, co-ops and elevators uh, on our conservation side. For the research side, we focus entirely of implementing the research on farmer's fields using farmer's equipment. We don't have any equipment of our own, our own facilities, our own land.
2: Uh, We want to test everything on their fields to see if it works in the real world. So Joe, that might be a little bit different than maybe someone might think. They might think that you have your own setup with perfect conditions, you know, trying to make sure that you're able to control every aspect of the research, but at the same time, When you're on a farmer's farm, you know that things are actually real world applications in a real world setup. Is that kind of the thinking there?
3: That is exactly right. And our trials are more than a a typical resource organization like in a, a company or a university. Our trials are typically replicated across the field. They're equipment wide, 12 or 24 rows wide per treatment, so really wide and three to 500 feet long. So we're getting every condition in that field, the sandy spots, the high spots, the the good spots, the bad spots, to really see does this uh, treatment work? Do these things work? And then using our analytics team, we could actually look at that yield file and start to parse out how did this treatment work on soil type A versus soil type B to really understand where this treatment will work and where it won't work.
2: So let's start with first things first. What are some of the things that you're typically working on then on the research side? What exactly are you working towards each and every day?
3: Well, we've got a a pretty broad array of of items. We're focused on uh, corn and soy in our organization, not just soybean. Uh, because every one of Iowa soybean farmers is also an Iowa corn farmer and some of the most important questions of facing Iowa agriculture today is on the corn side with nutrients and manure management. So we're very committed to that aspect of understanding that and how we manage that uh, as effectively as possible. Um, on the soybean side, we're looking at uh, fungicides and biologicals. Um, we're looking at some more of the cultural practices around population coming up. Um, we're doing some uh, some look at quality as well, and, and uh, our Analytics team has been focusing on partnering with an organization to explore soybean quality, so we can understand the farmer can understand uh, w- with pre-contracting whether it makes more sense to contract with a private entity for a specific bean or go to the general elevator. What was the best economics for him or her?
2: Is there anything right now that's Really promising, something that's got you very excited about the research side of the RCFI and what you guys have been working on.
3: Well, there's there's quite a bit. Um, the
2: the aspect of
3: uh, super high yielding, uh, eighty plus bushel um, is is intriguing. It's more it, it, it's a fun area to really see what we could push to limits and still be profitable. Um, it doesn't fit all, so we most of our research is still focused. Uh, how do we make every acre more productive? And and it there's no silver bullet um it really comes down to the, the basics of managing uh your pests your weeds soybean we cyst uh, is one of the, the, the major components we're looking at next year we control uh using cover crops um, and cover crops is, is an area we've been focusing a lot on um as as a profitability tool um and also to make it uh, less risky to implement how do we make it easier uh, easier step into that area uh, and then how do we use those cover crops to improve soil health yield as well as maybe uh, reduce our our weed uh, management
2: uh, chemical usage. Joe, you mentioned the high yield numbers. Are you ever, do you ever just step back and are you surprised at how we just continue to climb with those numbers and it almost feels like there's no cap to things because we just continue to make such improvements?
3: Yeah, I am, and especially you look at those folks that you read about that are, you've got the competition folks, definitely, but there's still folks that that are realistically at growing full fields of hundred plus bushel an acre and the question is how and how do we take what they're learning and implement it and then try to get that 40 bushel field to 50 that 70 bushel field to 80 um, there's so much potential out there with soybeans and there's so much demand through through the the oil and the meal needs so we've got to figure out how to get more per acre because there's not more acres out there to, to go and, and change the soybeans
2: for the RCFI, is it fully funded by the soy checkoff dollars? Is that what's driving the RCFI?
3: That is a major component, and that's the ba- our base component is our checkoff dollars, uh, the great contributions of Iowa farmers. We try to leverage that by uh, getting grants from whether it's federal or state. Um, we also leverage that a lot by industry partnerships, um, grants to test different products that did things that, that – uh, that interest them and they they want to uh, have us experiment with as well, um, and that adds a lot of, of clout to their products as well because now it's an independent third party testing their products and showing um, uh, effectiveness. So we try to leverage those dollars, uh, those those checkoff dollars, to really drive our our budgets uh, larger so we can do more and do more faster.
2: And that's always a cool thing to me about the setup that uh, a group like this because the farmers then are driving that research that they're gonna benefit from and it's just kind of a self-serving ecosystem that's really cool on on all sides.
3: Yeah, we just, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, our RCFI uh, advisory committee and that's a combination of farmers, uh, a couple of industry, a couple of academia, and some ag retail telling us what are we doing right? What do we need to go look at more deeply? Uh, what areas uh, should, we, should we fix in our process, in our, in our areas? And a lot of great feedback from them. We're already working on that, and that's everything from what we're researching to how do we disseminate that information. So we can do the best research in the world, but if we don't share it effectively, it doesn't really matter. So we're working from the front to back to make our program better because of that committee.
2: As far as the negative side of things, what is something then that the RCFI is really focused on? Is it something like you just mentioned, maybe SCN, something that's causing problems for soybeans? Uh, what, where's something that you feel like does need to make some improvements right now? I,
3: I think yeah, SCN uh, definitely is an area. Uh, there, there's areas of um, uh, some nutrients that we're starting to explore. Uh, that, that may have a, an effect. Iron chlorosis in North Central and Northwest Iowa, it's always something that uh, on certain soils is holding soybeans back, and then there's no silver bullet for that either. Um, but overall, it, it's, it's managing soybeans uh, to their potential um, and not as a, a secondary crop. And I think there's a lot of uh, opportunity there at looking at row width, population, um, and some some attributes uh, around especially weed control we control we thought we had solved with traits and, and certain herbicides uh, that worked for a while and we're, we're starting to lose effectiveness on that so we got to go back to the toolbox and get some of those older practices out like canopy and things like that to really really uh, get another another mode of action on our weeds
2: that's an interesting comment from you too that not just thinking of soybeans as a secondary crop do you think more farmers do think along the lines of now you know what it's corn and soybeans you know one in one
3: I, I think so. Soybean acres have steadily grown uh, since we started in 1964, uh, and they are still growing, but maybe may not at the pace they were in the early years, but with the demand for oil and, 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 um, and meal coming up, uh, we see great things for soybeans, and we see growth continuously, and that's where looking at corn on corn acres, does that make sense for the health of, uh, of a corn producer? rather than rotating 100 percent and then is there ever a a time where soybean on soybean acres comes a comes a reality um and and what does that research look like to go continuous soy
2: and that's kind of another one of those things did you ever think you would even hear that before
3: never never did and there's there's enough people out there it's like don't do it try not to do it It, it, it'll never work but we don't know there's not enough research completed on it they do it in argentina uh there's a little bit there's some pockets in ohio that do it so there's there's some success out there we need to explore it uh for the Iowa farmer if we need to go that way in five ten years we
2: need to be on the edge of that. So Joe how would a farmer even then be involved in the RCFI how do you have the farm facilities to go and use do you get in partnership with these farmers right from the get-go do they come to you how does that work? It's, it's a bit of a blend.
3: Uh, we have uh, ongoing relationships with it. We know people that, that, that will want to work with us, uh, have had success work with us, that they've implemented those techniques, those treatments, those, those products on their farm and saved saved uh, input costs and, and increased profitability on their own farm, so they're always willing to work with us. Uh, we meet people all the time that are willing to work with us. We try to, to go to, uh trusted uh, folks in the countryside and say hey do you have anybody that would be willing to work with us on these kind of aspects um, we also try to direct everybody to our website iasoybeans.com under re- under research there's an area to work with us that they can can log in they can there's also a, tenor, a group a listing in there of all of our agronomists uh, myself's in there can email us at any time and then on february 16th we'll have our innovation of profit winners winter conference that will have uh, a lot of speakers at. It'll be a full nine to four o'clock kind of day. Uh, a lot of information coming out of that. And, and the, the, the plan there is really develop an action plan for farmers to leave that day with a plan of action of how they're going to make changes in 23 and 24, what they want to do on the research side as well as the conservation implementation side, because uh, there's great, great things going on in that area as well.
2: Do you ever try and find maybe a place, a farm that's not an ideal setup so you can say, well, we need to see how things work when we don't have ideal soil conditions, that type of thing?
3: We do. Um, we, we typically hit that because we, we try to hit a lot of sites. And and so we don't always get the best, uh, blackest dirt in the world. And we, we make sure that we try to put all of our trials across all of our nine cropping districts. We have we divide the, the state into nine areas where we have, we have uh, uh, board members from each of those nine areas. So we make sure we, we're hitting Northwest Iowa, Southeast Iowa, uh, and, and everywhere in between
2: uh, to make sure we're getting all those conditions. Joe, is there anything else you'd like to let our audience know about when it comes to the RCFI? What you're working on, and again, maybe how they can get involved if they would like to?
3: Yeah, I you know check that website out. Uh, we're on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, uh, areas like that. A lot of great stories, a lot of great information coming out that way. Um, and and please, please join us on February 16th for our innovation to- to profit seminar.
2: Joe, thank you so much for the time. Exciting stuff, research side of the soybeans here in Iowa. And we thank you so much and have a great rest of your week. All right. Thank you. That's it for segment two of this week's show. When we come back, Riley will wrap up the show as he talks with Billy Beck, Extension Forestry Specialist with Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. This is Weekend Ag Matters.
0: Hi, my name is Lauren Botine and I've been a certified crop advisor in Iowa for four and a half years now. The Iowa CCA program is valuable to me because it allows employers and customers to have a peace of mind knowing that they have a trusted agronomic advisor and partner helping them in the field. The CCA program's rigorous continuing education, informational updates, and highest ethical standards provides comfort to customers in the field knowing that I am equipped to address various agronomic topics and trends. To learn more about becoming a certified crop advisor, visit iowacca.org.
2: Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Riley Smith.
1: Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. I'm Riley Smith. This past Wednesday, I was at Iowa State University for the Integrated Crop Management Conference, where there was a lot of interesting discussion on various crop management practices and other agricultural topics. I had the opportunity to speak with Dr. Billy Beck, Extension Forestry Specialist with ISU Extension and Outreach, about how farmers can take advantage of some of the old timber areas on their farms and potentially treat them as crops and turn a nice profit while maintaining the integrity of the surrounding ecosystem. Just had an interesting session on using timber as a crop, and that's something that maybe most Iowans don't really think about. But as you mentioned, a lot of farmers have those uh, timberlands, you know, along creeks and everything, where they have trees that maybe they need to do a little better job of managing. So, you know, let's talk a little bit on the practicality of, of having a timber crop from a farm, and and just kind of the benefits that farmers across the state can see from that.
4: Yeah. So um, I've been a forester in the Midwest for a while now, and what that means is I deal with a lot of agricultural producers. A lot of agricultural producers own woodland, but it's almost like an afterthought. They're busy with a lot of other stuff. Um, the management of them is a lot different than traditional um, livestock or corn and beans. So a lot of them aren't really um, confident in like, you know what do I do with these areas? Uh, what's the return interval? When do I do my inputs? When do I see a return? What resources are out there to help me but I really do believe that a lot of these like on-farm woodlands and you're right they're, they're along creeks they're along like the back 40 that a lot of people just don't go back into uh, for many many years um, they're just not being maximized and I really believe and when they're not maximized they're not valued and when they're not valued they get degraded and then I think that kind of hurts the whole state because they provide so much um, ecological benefits clean water clean air wildlife habitat pollinators to the entire state um, in addition to all those great benefits they, they provide for the landowner. So I really think they're a, a kind of an asset waiting to spring forth with the, the right kind of management. And for practicality, um, it's a lot of work, but there's a lot of great resources out there. So I really do, I love conferences like this because it lets me connect the ag folks with the resources for forestry that are out there. So um, they don't have to do it alone. There's funding out there. There's professionals out there to, to help them. And that's, that's a, a longer story, but... Um, I really want them to start exploring it and start viewing these areas. People call them wastelands all the time, and it drives me crazy. But I want to start to have them view these as an asset to their on to their farm enterprise, and not um, not a wasteland or a, a waste. So.
1: Right. And, you know, let's talk a little bit on that economic side of things and you know, maybe a little bit of a basic walkthrough of the process of, you know, getting that timber kind of set aside, uh, who to reach out to to get that cut down and then and then how farmers need to go about making sure that they're getting the value that they need to get from that timber.
4: Yeah. So honestly, the first thing you should do is start thinking about your goals for the woodland. And And I'll say this again, like a lot of times. Uh, more and more often, folks are managing their woodlands for wildlife value or just a great place to relax with their family, aesthetics, recreation, and not solely timber revenue, but. Timber harvest is a, is a tool to get to a lot of those objectives. And if you own timber, you're probably more than likely going to do one timber harvest in your life. And you need to do it the right way, because if you don't, it'll have decadal uh, decadal um, negative impacts uh, to that woodland. So um, the first thing I would do is establish your goals. And you can work with a professional forester to help you kind of walk your woods and start talking about it. It's good to think and talk out loud with folks to get your goals set. What do you want? What do you want in the next 10, 20, 30, 100 years for this woodland? Once you have your goal down, you can work with your forester to establish a forest stewardship plan. That's your guide uh, to how to achieve those objectives. And they're going to prescribe activities from now until perpetuity to achieve that plan, to to achieve those objectives. And timber harvest is often a, a, a practice that they prescribe. So once that forester prescribes it and says, okay, this is the right time to do it, this is the right timber condition that needs to happen, this is the right size of the trees that need to be on the ground to do this harvest to benefit you, then they'll go out and they'll mark those specific trees to harvest and they'll give you an estimate of it Species species composition, uh, the number of trees you're going to harvest, the size of those, the volume of those, and they're going to give you an estimate about okay, what do I think in general those that this sale is going to is going to bring you as far as revenue. So again, I'll say this again. Not only is that going to achieve your economic goals, it's going to achieve your ecological goals, too. So if somebody just comes in not knowing your goals and starts cutting away and picking out the stuff they want, that's not going to help you. You're not going to get the maximum financial return, and you're not going to be achieving your additional goals like habitat or pollinators or clean water or whatever. So that's what's key about working with that that forester. So they're going to give you a, an estimate of, OK, this is what you got for this sale, and I'm going to say you're going to get this much from it, because I know the buyers in the area and um, this is probably what they're going to give you are they always dead on no but they give you a very good idea of what you're what you're going to get then you work with the forester to solicit solicit that sale out to the buyer so they get a sheet that says exactly what's been marked the volume the grade the quality all that stuff and then the buyers come in and check out the woodlands and then they place their bid in a sealed bid you get the bids you open the bid you get the top dollar and um, you select the top bid and then you get a contract together ensuring that you get paid in full but seeing the chainsaws even start and then the loggers come in and, and do their magic. So one thing I will say though is that um, it is very critical to get that contract in writing to be explicit about what you want and what's expected from that that um, that harvest situation. So,
1: Right, and you've touched on this already but that ecological side of things is, is another thing to be considered there. You know, a lot of farmers are even looking at you know, I need to cut down this timber, there's too many trees close to my fields. You know, uh, personally, we always had a struggle with beavers coming out, knocking down trees and it falls into the field. Yep, yep, yep. So you you can always take advantage of that. It's like, well, I need to do this management. Let's get a little bit of profit off of that as well.
4: Right, and it's, um, it's not even like, um, there's timber harvest, but there's other ways to harvest and do like thinnings, like you said and get not only timber revenue, but like, you know, fence posts, um, what they call non-timber forest products. So there's other things out there in the woodlands through management that benefits the ecology that you can get a financial return on before you get all the way to that that final harvest situation. So there's a lot of steps in there, and the forestry will be your guide on that about how we can recoup costs along the way, not just 60 years in the, in the future, so.
1: Right. And, you know, if there are farmers out there who are interested in, in kind of seeing what their timber is worth and maybe what their options are with that area, you know, where's the first place they should go to kind of get that process started?
4: That's a great question. A lot of folks aren't familiar with that. First thing I would say is go out yourself and just start walking around before you even know the terms or, or talking to a forester. Just start thinking about how you use this land, how you value it, what you want to see this land look like in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and just kind of get your thoughts together. Write those down. Um, check your boundaries you know a lot of people even don't know where the exact boundaries are but just get a sense of your woodlands on on your own then i would um, we've got a a number of ways to get in contact with professional foresters there's our online forestry contacts page on our extension website there's also your usda service center in every county so um, nrcs is a great guide for not only hooking you up with foresters but um, advising you on financial Um, opportunities cost share opportunities but there's private consulting foresters around the state and then there's um, iowa dnr district foresters around the state so with our contacts page or nrcs um, those two would be your first your first step
1: all right billy and do you have any other tips for farmers who might be considering uh, you know just checking out that timber seeing what it's worth and and even checking out the ecological side of things on the benefits they could see
4: um i would just say get out there more than once a year start assessing it um, and just kind of start educating yourself a lot of folks don't know what they've got um, and I think when you don't know what you have you kind of brush it aside and, and don't value it so honestly and I know everyone's super busy start going to some forestry extension events I know this is a shameless plug but like just start educating yourself especially like things like do I have invasive species out there um, what other threats are my forest is, is my forest facing? You know, do I have storm damage? Do I have insects and disease? Um, just start educating yourself. What species do I have out there? Just basic stuff uh, to get them kind of connected and, and interested in the in the property. Um, then you can have a really a, a more um, more effective conversation with your forester. So we've got again, shameless plug. We've got online resources. We've got in field events. Um, that can help educate you on everything is basic from tree ID to insect and pest damage ID, what to do with storm damage. Um, so I think that would be it. It's just that educate yourself on, on your woodlands um, and then have that effective
1: first conversation with your forester. So, All right, Billy. Well, thanks for taking the time to visit with us today. Thanks, Riley. Appreciate it. That again was Dr. Billy Beck, Extension Forestry Specialist with Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. And that's it for today's episode of Weekend Ag Matters. Thanks again for tuning in. You can listen to this episode and more by going to the podcast tab on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network website at iowaagnet.com. For Russ Parker, Dustin Huffman, and Mark Magnuson, I'm Riley Smith, wishing you a great rest of your weekend. Join us again next week for more Weekend Ag Matters.